So welcome to this week's episode of Bonsai Pipeline Podcast. Uh, today we're here with Lindsay Peterson. Uh, Lindsay is the awesome CEO of Ironclad Brand Strategy and uh, friend. And, you know, we got together maybe, what, about a month ago and we were just like down at a coffee shop around the corner. And we were just like talking up a storm and we just thought it'd be really fun to do, a, a, do one of these together, do a podcast together. So... Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for doing this and, and welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Thanks so, for having me. This is your first podcast. This is, that is right? the first podcast oh interview God. that I've ever done. Okay. So gosh. We're going to try to make it as easy as possible. <laughs> okay. Be nice to me. <laughs> so um, so you, your company, Ironclad uh, Brand Strategy, you worked with all kinds of amazing brands. You know, hopefully some of them you've made more amazing. Um, but you're writing a book. Now, so tell me a little bit about uh, about the book. Yeah, thank you. Well, my book is called Forging an Ironclad Brand, A Leader's Guide, and it's coming out in April. And the, the idea of the book is to provide leaders, not necessarily marketing people, um, but leaders with like, what is a brand? Like demystifying brand and then showing a step-by-step method for building one that's going to be hardworking and this crystal clear North star to guide the, to, to guide the decisions that the leader is making as he or she's building the business. So I started writing this book a couple of years ago and it's coming out in April. So at this kind of glacial pace, it'll finally be coming out. So I'm excited. It takes a long time to print. You yeah, know, turns print out. All, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, and the idea behind this is maybe I'm not a chief marketing officer, yeah. but maybe I'm a CEO or maybe I run a nonprofit or maybe I'm, in, you know, a government leader or something like that. that's yep. um, trying to get, you know, more broad support or broad awareness of, you know, either my business, my program, you know, whatever, whatever it is I'm doing. And so it's basically, you know, where do I start? Like if yeah. I know nothing, yes. what do I do? Yes. So, Which is perfect for me, by the way. Good. Because like, I know nothing. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a copy. It's, it's really, it. I have the special interest in um, enabling P&L owners, so general managers, um, CEOs, um, business owners who um, have so much um, pressure to drive day-to-day sales, Mm. but also are trying to build something enduring. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, that's sort of, isn't that sort of the the paradox of being a leader is that you're always trying to do both. You're trying to make um, your tomorrow really high value and growing. And you're also trying to make today's business thrive. So I see brand as the way to help reconcile that because it enables you to prioritize and to provide direction to your team who's really craving that mm-hmm. um, and to help them to kind of um, rally behind a purpose um, so that the company can scale and so that you can create value even when you're not in the room. And I see brand as um, the way to do that. Um, backing up a little bit, I spent my formative years of my career in consumer packaged goods. So Mm. I was a a brand manager at Clorox and in consumer packaged goods, it's considered kind of a no duh that your brand strategy is your most um, useful asset as a leader. Mm -hmm. 
and that your brand is the most highly leveraged way that you can scale your business. So, and it's kind of the crucible in consumer packaged goods because in consumer packaged goods, most of the time our products are pretty much parity with our competitors' products. Sure, what's really the difference between Starbucks coffee and Pete's coffee? Right, right. Or Tully's, which just went out of business. Yes, 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 it did. The, The real difference is the brand. Exactly. And, um, and if you're, if you're a leader and you're trying to create value, then, you know, whose P&L would you rather own Starbucks or Tolly's? Sure. It's the difference between a high performing, um, you know, consumer empathetic brand and one that's not. Yeah. Nothing against Tully's. Nothing against Tully's. I have a story or two in my book about Tully's, actually. It's sort of the counterpoint to Starbucks. I'm sure. But I kind of finished writing the book before Tully's went belly up. So Sure. So, you know, rewinding a little bit, um, you went to Georgetown undergrad, uh, got an MBA at Berkeley, Clorox. So... What was that? I mean, that's all obviously extremely impressive. So what what was that, you know, thing that got you from, hey, I'm a, you know, college student. I'm, you know, have no idea what I'm going to do with my life, which I'm sure everybody has that moment, right? Unless you're the one exception. Um, How did you get from there to to Clorox? What, what was yeah. the story? Oh, gosh. In my undergraduate years, all four years... I thought I was going to go on and get a PhD in clinical psychology. Oh, wow. Okay. So I really went deep down that path and had sort of a, um, a come to Jesus moment at the end of college with my advi- my advisor, yeah. um, where what I really learned, and it probably, I probably could have internalized this sooner, sooner than senior year, but I learned that it was going to take, you know, eight years to, to do that. And I would be living in Iowa and PhD and students are the most miserable people on the it planet. It just seemed so, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed miserable. So I kind of backed away from that, and I started doing um, management consulting. So I was at Deloitte Consulting. And um, after the business analyst program at Deloitte, you're expected to go on and get an MBA in order to be welcome to stay. Right. So... Um, so I kind of, you know, I was sort of floundering my way. And I, I, I wound up at Berkeley um, at the Haas School. And it was actually just such a joyful time for me. First of all, um, I very quickly was taking marketing classes and found that I loved it and realized that what I loved about psychology is really just blending with economics Right. And you get marketing. Right. It's, that's really all it is. And mm-hmm. so I didn't know that prior, or I would have maybe gone into marketing sooner. Um, so while I was at, at, at Haas, I did my summer internship at Clorox. And this was, okay, so this was the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So, and I was in the Bay Area. So this right. is the height of the dot-com era. Right. And all of my friends, all of my friends were going to intern at, you know, all of these companies that six months later didn't exist. But I yeah, was... one 800 petscom yes, or whatever. Yeah, so just... kind of um, gratuitous.com, almost comical. Um, 
and I was so uncool because I was going to go work on armor all mm. at Clorox. That was right. my, my, my business for the summer. Um, but when I went back to Clorox the next year, it was, you know, September of 2001. And I looked like the smartest person in my class because <laughs> I had a job. Cause you were the only one with a job, I right? I had a job. Yeah. Um, so I loved, um, I loved kind of blending the human, um, getting inside of the head of the consumer. What I loved about psychology with economics right. and, um, the cool, th- there's a lot of things I, I didn't love about Clorox, but the cool thing about Clorox or any consumer packaged goods company that's modeled after Procter and Gamble is you have P and L responsibility for your business. Right. So, so you're partially a marketer, but you're also partially a general manager in a way. You're you're a general manager. You're a CEO. Part of part of what you do is marketing because right. the way that you you grow a business, especially in a mature category, is through marketing. Right. Um, but it's not marketing for its own sake. It's marketing in service of creating value and growing your business. Right. So marketing was one of many things that I did, um, and. I I loved that part of it. I didn't like mm-hmm. the demand planning as much. I didn't like the su- the supply chain management as much. Um, but I loved the marketing, and I particularly loved the strategy of um, the the exercise of distilling the meaning of a brand um, right. down to like what is the one thing that we're going to stand for in the mind of our customer. What's the one thing that gives us a right to exist as a business? Right. Um, and I loved that. And all of us did that. All of, you know, hundred brands at Clorox, we all did that. Um, so when I moved to Seattle 12 years ago, I, um, I start, I started doing project kind of brand management projects, brand manager for higher projects. Starbucks was my first client. And, um, yeah. So, so tell me about that. I mean, did, had you started ironclad at that time or, this was just on your own, you know, the just, Lindsay Peterson shingle. It was, it, it was Lindsay Peterson shingle. It was, um, well, it was, okay, I, I'm not sure how much backstory you're interested in, but Starbucks was actually recruiting me for a role and another company had given me an offer. So full-time, mm-hmm. you know, director of marketing, I think it was role. Another company had given me an offer. So I went to Starbucks and said, Hey, um, <laughs> I've got this other offer. Are you going to give me an offer or not? Otherwise, bye-bye. And they said, you know, we're having this hiring freeze. Can you come on as a consultant instead and mm. do this job on a consulting basis? And so that's what I started to do. I I did this role as a consultant. And what I found is that I loved being an outsider. Mm. And I could... I could be really, really honest and almost, almost to the point where, um, you know, almost abrasively honest about what was going on. It made me more effective at giving a recommendation for what to do with this business. Mm -hmm. I could say, you know, instead of having seven scones that taste like sawdust, how about (laughs) have two that are good? Right. Um, and whereas it would be, um, heresy right. to, to, to say that as a partner. So I love, you have the political issues, things like that. You know, I mean, in, in hindsight, I think part of this is the, the culture of Starbucks is, right. um, um, very consensus driven. Right. And, and I didn't know that. Right. And I was a consultant. So I felt it was my almost fiduciary duty 
to just be really, really candid. I think in other comp- companies, it wouldn't have been so drastic of a distinction. But I loved, I loved having this outsider point of view. So I did that for several years before I really zeroed in on brand strategy as my the, the one thing that I do. Yeah. Um, and, and turned the company name into Ironclad Brand Strategy. Got it. So, I mean, you've started this, uh, you started this company, you've had, you know, one awesome client, Starbucks. What did you, I mean, what did you do from there? Yeah. Was it all just easy roses? No. Oh my gosh. (laughs) No. So what first happened is that I realized that I loved consulting and, um, when I realized that I thought, gosh, maybe this is what I actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so backing up when I was a brand manager at Clorox, I often would hire somebody like me who is a former brand manager from Clorox right. to come in and do a project for me. And it would often be something like write the brand architecture for liquid plumber. Right. Um, and I always felt kind of envious of this person who I would hire to do that. So in the back of my mind, I always did have this thought that this is something I could do. If I really, if I'm envious of this person who I'm hiring, maybe I should take that as information from the universe and do something about it. Sure. So while I was having this epiphany at Starbucks, I reached out to my network. There were a lot of Clorox alums who were in marketing leadership roles in companies around the Seattle area. And I just said, hey, would you know, is there a market for what I'm talking about doing? And I got the encouragement that I was craving. And so then I just, I, I started doing it for other companies, T-Mobile, um, Microsoft, um, to a lesser extent back then, some startups. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was really word of mouth because, you know, my client from Starbucks would leave to go to Microsoft and then hire me at Microsoft. And somebody from T-Mobile would leave to go start at their own company and then they would bring me on. So it was purely and kind of continues to be purely this word of mouth thing. Right. So it's just, you know, starting from that core kind of network that you had from those early days at, at Clorox. That's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. And you've been doing it now for what? You said like 12, 12 years? years like that? Exactly wow. 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. And mostly around Seattle, but obviously a lot of, I mean, a lot of amazing brands. I mean, t- I mean tell me who some of these companies are that you've worked with because, I mean, the yeah. names are just incredible. Oh, that's nice. Which is probably a reflection on your work now that I think about it. You know, I mean, I think what that's kind of you. I, what, what the common thread that I see is that the leader of these companies sees brand as more than a logo right um sees the potential of brand maybe not it doesn't understand it but sees it as a way to force prioritization and clarity in the organization so um so some of the brands i've worked with well here in seattle and probably half my business is seattle maybe two-thirds um Avalara, which you know. Sure. <laughs> Slightly familiar um, with them. You know, Avalara. Um, um, I work with a lot of Madrona and Mavron portfolio companies. So yeah. Aerovale sure. is, is one. Mavron yeah. itself has been a client um, whose brand strategy I've done. Yeah. Um, we know Dan pretty well over there and a lot of the Madrona people. Yeah. Such good, really good, good humans. Really good people, yeah. Really good people. Um, 
some other kind of fun brands that I've worked with, maybe not in Seattle. So Cypress Grove, the cheese brand. Mm. Humboldt Fog is what they're famous for. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Cypress Grove, they're Humboldt County, California. Um, I worked with, and I still work with Automatic, which owns WordPress and WooCommerce and Jetpack and a number of brands. I work with a lot of their portfolio companies. Um, So, yeah, it's it's all leaders who are seeing this as brand strategy is a way in to business strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's it yes it has mar- marketing implications um but it's more than that. Yeah. I mean Automatic is one of these great ones because I mean they Automatic themselves has, you know, almost very little brand, right? Yeah. I mean I actually I uh met got to meet Matt a couple of oh. maybe like sometime early last year. Really interesting, you know, nice guy. Um, just talked to him for a few minutes, but real nice guy. But, uh, you know, their brand automatic isn't what, that well known if you just ask people at automatic, but every product that they put out, I mean, at least the vast majority of them, you know, go on to be really successful. I mean, they've just, they're just hit makers in that regard. I mean, like WordPress is being one, you know, but WooCommerce is another, I mean, so they've really done tremendous things with their brand. Yeah. They're not afraid to be bold. Right. And, um, and to be really true to that. So, and I think that that's a characteristic of a brand, you know, a brand that a consumer has affinity for is where there's been some courageous putting a stake in the ground by the leader to not be something bland and vanilla and safe. Right. So, um, that's what makes a brand beloved right. to, to a consumer or to a customer or a client. So that's a, so that's, I mean, that's a great segue is, you know, a lot of people think, okay, when they, a lot of people, when you think brand, they think like logo, like identity, but mm-hmm. you know, in, in your, you know, writing the, the work that you do, I mean, you basically coach people that no brand is not that. So, um, I mean, or maybe that's a small part of it, but, mm-hmm. uh, so, okay. If, if your brand isn't your logo, what is your brand? Yeah. you your brand is the thing you stand for in the mind of your customer. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, re, it's a relationship. Your brand is the, your, the relationship between your business and your customer. Mm-hmm. And um, your brand positioning is your positioning inside the head of your customer. Mm-hmm. Literally like physical real estate in the brain of your customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, has, that, that permeates everything about your business, certainly including the, the visual cues like your logo. Um, but it, way before you get to logo, what are the products you're selling? Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to double down on? What are you going to not double down on? Um, how are you going to price it? Mm-hmm. Who are going to be your distribution partners? Um, so it's really... In other words, where are you going to sell it? Where are you, you going to sell what, it? How are you going to sell it? You're going to sell it direct. You're going to sell it through channels. Are you, if you're a consumer product, you know, are you going to, what, what channels are you going to sell it through? If you're a, you know, company like Starbucks, are you going to own your stores? Are you going to have franchises? Exactly. All those things? Exactly. So it's, it really informs your choice of business model. Right. Um, if it's not, then it's really not a brand strategy. It's a, um, it, it might be a, a neat, neat creative 
idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not through and through um, informing your customer experience of what you bring to the world, then it's not really a brand strategy. So the idea is that um, it's not necessarily the way that you're you know, packaging it by itself. It's not necessarily the logo that you put on it by itself or the product by itself. It's the the combination of all of those things. It's the it's it's almost the through line or the thread yes, yeah. connecting all of those things. Is yeah. that is that pretty yeah, much? Yeah, I mean, you see I kind it? of liken it to if you think like um, you know a person. If you think of a person, because a, a brand is a relationship between a person and a business usually. Right. Um, a person is and, not, you know, we always say this, even in B2B, I mean, you know, businesses don't buy from you, right? Businesses don't write checks. People buy from human you. beings, right? Human beings, right. whether B2B, B2C, if you're, if you're serving human beings, then you have, or should have a brand. Right. So a brand is a relationship between a person and a business. So, so and, and in some ways, a business, a, a, some people might even characterize brand as um, what would a business be like if it were a person, right? right? Because it's easier to bond with a human, for, for a human being to bond with something that's more personal. So like in other easier. words, if Starbucks was a person, right? if Bonsai was a person yes. or T-Mobile was a person, yes. then what would they care about? Yeah. What would they do with their free time? What do they like? Yeah. What do they, what do they value? Right. Um, Interesting. What What are their gifts? Huh. Um, what? That's how a really do they unique talk? Way to look at it. What are their yeah. What's their personality? And actually, um, when brand really had sort of a heyday in the mid twentieth century, mm-hmm. the idea and consumer from um, Procter and Gamble really developed this. The whole idea of anthropomorphizing a physical object or service, you know, taking toilet paper and making it kind of person-like, right. it was that people are more likely to bond with a character or a person than with a roll of toilet paper. And if they bond with it, they'll be loyal to it. They'll have higher willingness to pay. They'll seek it out. Um, yeah. So that's that's actually the economic purpose of a brand is to increase willingness to pay and demand um and so if it's more person-like it's more relatable and um and if it's more relatable and if they love it then they'll be more likely to be profitable customers um so back to the idea of the person a person has a name and they have a look and they wear certain clothes but that's not who they are it hopefully is kind of a reflection of something that they like right but to say a brand is a logo is akin to saying that a person is their clothes um, or what a person chooses to put on. Yes, it's it's not that it's unimportant. It's that it's only part of the story. It's not and, that it's unrelated. Yeah. But it's just a small tip of the iceberg, maybe It's a the first impression, so it's right. important. And right. logos and visual identity are really important. Right. Um, but they come last. Interesting. Uh, you, hopefully... Hopefully, you're deciding on what you mean in an intentional, conscious way before you're uh, reflecting that out to the world. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, just thinking back through some of the names that you mentioned earlier, right? T-Mobile, you know, WordPress, um, you know, Starbucks, Avalara. I mean, they all have these very distinctive 
brands and you almost can uh, just picture the the person that represents that right I mean like who so like yeah. in your mod like who is I mean pick a pick a company and like walk us through it like but who is the WordPress or who is T-Mobile or who is Starbucks or? Yeah, well, there's this neat um, framework that I like to use that a lot of brand strategists use called the the brand character archetypes. Yeah. Have you heard of the archetypes? No. So the the idea comes from Carl Jung, who was okay. a student of Freud, and he studied storytelling across cultures and across time and found that there's only a few stories that have ever been told mm. among humans and there are only 12 characters who have ever shown up in those stories and so joseph campbell popularized this in the united states in the 20th century um, that there are 12 character archetypes and so a marketing person being a marketing person took this idea of the carl jung archetypes um, and, and thought hey what if we look at brands through this lens. Mm. Um, and they took the, I think it was the um, 100 most valuable brands in the world at the time and found that every single one of them adhered to one of these archetypes. Right. So there, I mean, you would probably recognize them from Star Wars even. So there's the jester, the lover, the everyman or guy or girl next door, um, the creator, the ruler, the sage, um, the innocent the outlaw, the magician, and did I get all of them? Oh, the so, hero. I'd so be so impressed if you nail all of these. <laughs> I, was, I think about these a lot. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it's what's kind of neat about it is that it. Um, first of all, isn't that kind of fascinating right. that all of the most valuable brands in the world adhere to one of these twelve archetypes, not thirteen? Right. Not 11, 12. There are 12. So like, let's say you're Harley Davidson. Yeah, so that's the you outlaw. You might say like, I'm the outlaw. That's the exactly. outlaw. T-Mobile is the outlaw. Starbucks is the explorer. I think I forgot that one earlier. The, yeah. the explorer. Um, Tesla is the magician. Right. Coke is the innocent. Pepsi's the jester. Um, Apple's the creator. Mercedes is the ruler. Hmm. Um, all, of, all of them abide by these. Interesting. And it... Um, the, the, the theory is that we humans are hardwired to like these characters. Right. Because no matter where you go in history, these characters show up in our story. Or at least to understand them. Yeah, it's, it's kind, kind of a of way of level, cognitively right? organizing it. Yeah. It's, it's instead of it being just this sort of squishy thing, it's, it, it helps organize. I don't think character archetypes are the be-all and end-all, but if it helps to make something amorphous, precise and easy to grasp then i like it yeah so um so all of the great brands of the world i think that all of the great brands are one of these archetypes and including the ones that i mentioned before and that you repeated that i've worked with and i would even venture to say that if you're thinking of a brand and you can't tell what archetype it is it's probably a really poor brand right interesting <laughs> If you can't, if you can't say what kind of character it is, it probably is something that maybe there are people who like it, but nobody really loves it. Right. It's it's not that well defined. Yeah. And and that's because of the value that that you want the brand to communicate. If you can't clearly say here's what it stands for, then it's not really clearly communicating that value. Is that? Is that yes, the I think idea? I think that's it. I think it's that. Um, you know the the thing about. Um, 
um, commerce, not just marketing, but when you're when you're trying to sell something, when you're trying to market something, um, you really need to gain the attention of your audience yeah. and attention is our most scarce resource. Yeah. So one of the ways that you can capture attention is with clarity, right? Right. Something that they already um, can grasp. There's something about it that's familiar to them. So they're willing to let it into their head and embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's too different, then it's too hard for them. It's too cognitively expensive. So they won't attend to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a way to make it easy for your customer to see your business. Right. Um, and if, and if they see it, they're more likely to be willing to learn more about it and learn that they like your offering and buy it and become loyal to it. Right. Right. Interesting. So let's say I'm a CEO of a small or mid-sized company, hypothetically. <laughs> for example. <And laughs> And I'm trying to figure out, you know, where the hell do I start? Mm, yeah. Right. I mean, because that's that would. I mean, that's like the the biggest question is like, okay, like maybe I have some idea of like what kind of architect ar- archetype I aspire mm-hmm. to have. I mean, where do you go from yeah. there? So, really, the archetypes I actually think come pretty late in the oh, thinking really? about okay. your brand. Interesting. The first thing that you need to do is you need to orient yeah and the the way that you orient is you choose your target customer and get really really specific and nuanced about who this person is and um what makes them tick what they value what they value not what's their demographic profile but what are they like and what do they care about and Hmm. what are their pains in the world Hmm. um get really really um curious about that and understand it um like these people are your friends because it's the it's the people your business is there to serve right so the first step is like who is the target customer and then that orients to what is in and usually in consumer packaged goods we call it the frame of reference what is their alternative to your business right what is their current way of solving the problem that you're offering solves it might be a direct competitor um, it might be naming the category, but it also might be um, a workaround solution that has nothing to do with your business. Right. Um, so it may not be like a direct product that they're like, for example, okay, if it's Starbucks, you might say, well, okay, Tully's Coffee is one, right, but also Keurig is one and also Folgers yes. is one that I'm just making in yes. my Mr. Coffee at That's home. That's true. So it's, so there's, so there's, um, there's the direct for a company like Starbucks that's in a mature category. There's there's the direct category, mm-hmm. so place to buy coffee. Right. Um, but there's also substitutes. Right. So place to buy tea. Right. Um, place to meet your friends that has nothing to do with coffee. And then if you include their um, their coffee beans that you can buy, it also includes other coffee products. Mm-hmm. It also includes other hot drinks. Right. Maybe it includes um, you know other workaround solutions. Right. Um, with a really a more new to the world um, service or product or offering, um, there might not be a category yet, but there's something that the customer is doing or not doing 
people are already surviving without your somehow, product. Somehow. somehow they right. didn't just come alive when your business right. um, started. So right. what are they there doing? Were babies were born before right. they developed maternity wards. Imagine. So how, <laughs> yes. do they, how do they manage to do that? Right. Yeah. Right. So what right. is their workaround? What are they doing because they don't have this? So that's your frame of reference. Right. And the reason that is so important, and it's something that a lot of people gloss over, or they just name the kind of really obvious direct competitor. Um, the reason it's so important is that's your competition. Mm. Your competition might not be a direct competitor. Right. Um, so actually in, in my business, I don't really compete with other consultants or agencies. I compete with my clients not doing a brand strategy right? or potentially doing it on their own. That's my competition. Right. That matters a lot because if I'm pushing against that, I'm going to get to a different um, brand promise, that's, which is the next stage, than if I'm pushing against an agency. You know, yeah. So if you're Coke and you're competing against Pepsi, you're the one that is, um, you know, maybe it's the, it's the character archetype of being innocent. But if you're Coke and you're competing against, against water, right. then you're the one with the kind of uplifting sweet taste. Right. If you're Coke and you're competing against the workaround of just being thirsty, then you're Coke is about quenching thirst and sort of the relief and joy of right. quenching thirst. Refreshment. Of yeah. refreshment. So hugely consequential decision to decide who who are you really who or what are you really competing with. So your target customer, so if I were a CEO like you and I were um, starting a brand strategy, I would start with get really, really crisp on who your target customer is and what your frame of reference is. And then the next step is defining, okay, what makes me better, not better, different from these alternatives um, that my target customer is using because they're not using me? What What do I, what's the differentiated and customer meaningful thing that I bring, Hmm. the thing that only I bring that Mm -hmm. solves this problem. Um, That's your brand promise. And, and then you can layer in, if if you like the brand archetypes that we talked about earlier, you can layer that in. It's definitely useful, especially if you do copywriting or, you know, or you hire people to do copywriting. It's helpful to codify that. Right. Um, But that's, that's your brand strategy. So it, it can take, you know, it could take six hours or six months right. to do that. Um, but it's worthwhile because then you have this North Star and it will, it can, you can use it to help keep your feet to the fire as you're making decisions. Right. It becomes a filter for making all of your big decisions. So, I mean, it strikes me that there's some kind of built-in prioritization that goes along with that, right? Because... If, you know, if I'm, let's say, not to use this example, because everybody, I mean, I'm sure does when talking about brand, but let's say I'm Apple versus Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, it's 1997. I've got 1% market share or something, and I'm trying to decide, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, that's really when they made that decision to go heavily in on the creator archetype, et cetera, and those, you know, the brand promises, you know, around... Um, you know, connecting with creatives, you know, with the outliers, you know, the think different, 
um, campaign, right? Yeah. Yep. So all that was the result, obviously, of a, of a brand strategy um, that might have been a very simple one. I mean, I don't think it was complicated for them. Yep. Probably. But by making that choice, you know, it's probably real easy when you're real small and you have nothing to lose. But I think I think also a lot of times people get caught up in this question of like, how do I prioritize? Like, let's say I'm a let's say, well, and maybe it is even hard if you're small in some cases. Let's say I'm a small startup and, you know, I've got five different you know, types of people that I think I could serve, right? So Mm -hmm. taking that back to Apple, there's lots of people that buy computers for lots of different reasons, right? Businesses buy computers, schools buy computers, universities buy computers, you know, people buy computers to use on their own. Yep. So um, I'm trying to decide, like, who do do I connect? decide on your target customer? Right, like, it strikes me what you're saying is that part of this, you know, is if I choose something, I, I have to choose to give up other things. Is that, I mean, is well, that true? Y- sort of. So okay. the, the choice of, and actually what you're bringing up is a really common CEO kind of resistance to doing brand strategy. I know. That's why I'm bringing that's, it up. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's like, are you telling me that I can't serve all these other people? Exactly. Like in choosing this target, does that mean that I'm walking away from this business? So Apple saying, I'm going to, I'm going to serve the creatives the people that think different so does that mean i can't serve businesses right. for so example let me see if this reassures you choosing a target customer um is choosing who you're going to optimize for mm-hmm. it's not saying um so if you're not an outlier you're not allowed to buy an apple sorry mm-hmm. they didn't say that but they're optimizing for a certain value mm-hmm. and um um, kind of posture toward the world. Mm-hmm. They're going to optimize for that. And they made that decision because it's their way of differentiating versus what Microsoft was back then, which was very bland and kind right. of the man and corporate. Um, so they made that decision um, to optimize for them. But the target customer is just the center of the bullseye. So the dartboard, I, sometimes I talk about the target customer is just the bullseye on the dartboard. Right. But if you're, if you're shooting darts at a dartboard, if you, if you miss the center, you still get points. Right. Um, but you're more likely to get on the dartboard at all if you shoot for the center. Right. So um, the target customer is, not, is, is different from your addressable market. Right. Your addressable market is much larger than your car- target customer. Um, but you're more likely to please everybody or you're, you're, you're more likely to gain um, a share of that total addressable market mm-hmm. by optimizing for the one for whom you have the most right to serve. So right. it's, it's, it's not that you're walking away from that business. It's just that you're going to choose your focus. Right. Um, so there's sort of a both and does that? Yeah. It also seems like you're, it also seems like you're in a way, you know, digging a moat around that part of the market for yourself. So in other words, yes, you know, I think, um, I mean, let's see if we can pick another example like Subaru or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Subaru has done a great job at creating a brand around, you know, people who are adventurous and free spirited and, uh, they have dug a very deep moat where they think it's very hard for somebody like a Chevy who's got a very 
generic kind yeah. of brand, at least in the car segment, to come in and actually compete with that, yes. right? Yes, um, exactly. I mean, I think that that's that's the whole game right there. They're very differentiated. You're you're locking you're 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 inspiring love from a group of people who are disproportionately valuable to you mm-hmm. as a business. And when you do that, people don't leave brands that they love to go to a brand that is, that they merely like. Right. So it is this is all about competitive advantage at the at the end of this, it's about creating value for your business by um by having this loyalty moat, um, by having high willingness to pay, right. uh, so you have healthy margins, and um, and by attracting a large volume of people who are who who meet that criteria. And so right. you're not willy nilly t- choosing your target customer; you're choosing the person for whom um, it makes all the difference to really please those people. So they're going to have high willingness to pay for what you uniquely offer. Right. And so, you know, taking the leap from, I mean, we, I mean, we've talked a lot about consumer brands because they're kind of like the most relatable. Um, but I think a lot of people, at least in our audience, are are in B two B. That certainly is what I know the most about. Um, what you know, what's different about this for B two B versus you know for a consumer brand? Yeah, it's a it's a question that I think about a lot um, because a lot of my clients are I would ex- B2B. I would expect you do, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, um, th- so there's there's two ways of answering it. On one hand, if you're serving human beings, okay, if you're serving robots, I'm not sure I can help you, but if you're serving <laughs> human beings, yeah. whether you're B2B or B2C, then these same principles apply. Right. Right, so... Um, I, as a business owner, um, purchase things and services for my business. I, Lindsay, make these purchases. And then I go home and I purchase a soccer ball for one of my kids. I'm still Lindsay. I'm still a person. I'm not like a robot when I'm buying pens for my office and a human when I'm buying a soccer ball. So I think the smart B2B brands realize that. And um, don't indulge the false dichotomy of we're B2B, so we're going to try to be all things to all people. Right. Um, so, so on one hand, B2B and B2C, it's, it's a false dichotomy when it comes to br- we're, when, we're, when we're talking about brand strategy. Now, marketing tactics are really different right. for B2B versus B2C. Your organizational structure is going to be different. Um, your sales cycle is much longer. Right. So the, the way that you express the brand and the, and your vehicles, um, are really quite different. Um, but the B2B brands that look at their customer as human beings, um, who are motivated by human motivations, mm-hmm. um, can build this North star that informs their tactics, whether they're a B2B or B2C. The, the third thing I would say is that if you're a B2B business and you're thinking about brand, you actually have um, automatically have a competitive advantage because in, in consumer, like everybody. It, th- this is everybody. If, if, right. if, you're, if you're a B2C business and you don't respect brand, you're not going to be around for very long. Right. Um, so w- you can really shine as a business, as a B2B business, um, by taking these principles seriously, because a lot of your 
competitors are not. Right. So it's kind of all the more reason to embrace this. Right. So what's a what's an example of like a uh, B2B brand that you think really, you know, resonates yeah. with you or that you see as a strong example? Yeah. I can think of a, a number Salesforce. I mean, Mark Benioff mm. famously says brand is not a logo. It's your most important asset. Mm. Um, and I think their market cap right now is 185 billion. Um, Sounds so about right. that's a big <laughs> asset. Um, um, and they treat, he, um, treat and the, the, the whole Salesforce business treats their audience as human beings. Slack is another B2B brand that, um, isn't afraid to have a point of view to right. show up and have kind of an attitude. Right. Um, um, fresh books, which is like a, you know, cloud accounting software mm-hmm. also like really clear on who their target customer is and unapologetic about it. Right. Um, so, I mean, these are a few the, the, the funny thing about B2B brands is that, um, it is there, I mean, I could probably list off a hundred B2C brands that I think are excellent and right. I can list off, a, you know, maybe 10 B2B brands. Well, that's what you were saying. That Th- it's, that's, that that's it the makes cool you thing about it. Just by doing, just by doing an okay job at it, you're already ahead yes. of the pack. Right? It's like, it's like, it, it's like, it's like with, um, um, if you're competing for the Olympics, you know, um, you go to Denver where the elevation is higher so that you can, it's harder. But then when you go back home, you've gotten acclimated to um, a lower oxygen environment. And then you, you have a competitive advantage versus um, the rest of the the runners. Right. Right. Yeah. Same, same idea in B2B brands. So why do you think more B2B companies don't invest more in branding? I mean, especially the ones like you mentioned, you know, fresh books, et cetera. But mm-hmm. a lot of these companies have millions of customers. Yeah. You know, Salesforce certainly has millions of users. Well, I, I think I imagine those, those successful have, yeah. B2B businesses, um, they might not say they're doing brand strategy, but this, but they're deploying these same principles. Right. So it just goes by a different name, like right. business strategy. They just right. call it business strategy. Right. Or customer experience excellence. Right. Um, if it's if they're not deploying these principles, then I don't think that they actually are successful. Right. But th- there's a little bit of I think of a semantic divide because they haven't because their peers aren't using the term brand strategy. But what they're doing is brand strategy. Right. Yeah, and it, and it seems like there's a lot of them that a lot of B two B companies at least that really. Are, so maybe they're just weak at their business strategy overall, or maybe they're, you know, maybe they're not connecting it, you know, back to the values in any kind of meaningful way, right? And it seems like there's just a more, like, mechanical approach to a lot of these B2B companies. That and could be, and I, I think know. there's, I'm limited because the one, the, in order for me to be willing to work with a business, yeah. I need to sort of have seen some demonstrated, this is important to us. Yeah. So I, I, you have some um, like selection bias in right. your conversation partner here. Because but you're talking to ones that already value I, this. They, they probably don't have a high degree of confidence, right. but they know, they know that there's something um, soulful to their business that they want to tap with something like brand strategy. Right. And so when you're working with companies like that, I mean, what's, 
what's like that big pitfall that you see most often? Like somebody says, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, I'm interested in this. Mm. Like what do people get wrong? When they engage me to work, well, to do a brand strategy with Not them. just with you. I mean, when you come along, what mistakes yeah. are you fixing? Yeah. You know, stuff like, I mean, I think, I mean? you know, what... I, I wouldn't say this happens so much with my projects, but yeah. a with a. Um, what are the things you try to avoid? The thing know? that the, the the kiss of death for um, for building a brand yeah. is hedging. Okay. Is not believing, not having conviction, and sticking with it, because it try would, to keep one foot on the shore, one foot yes, in the boat. Yes, exactly. That's the. That's the very, you know, because we're all humans, we have, um, we are pulled into the flavor of the day and it might be off brand. Um, but if you're going to get, you know, a dopamine hit by doing it, then it's tempting. Mm -hmm. And so, um, um, or it it could be more fear driven. Like my investors are saying we need to do this because it could get us revenue this month. Um, and so that is super understandable. Um, and yet when the, a lot of decisions get made along those lines, suddenly you don't have a brand anymore. Um, and if you don't, if you don't have a brand anymore, you don't really have an enduring business. So it's, it's kind of back to what we were starting from, which is it's a way to help you reconcile these short term and long term pressures that you inevitably will for, will face. And, um, to help you to have this conviction that th- actually this is what we're about. Right. So hedging is the is is the thing that I see f- at least from afar as sort of a student of business right. that I see businesses not just B two B but also B two C getting sucked into the fire drill that takes you into an off brand destination. Right. So if you're like uh, if you're a let's say CEO, you've, you know, got some kind of like reasonable, you know, first approach to building your brand. How do you know when it's working? Mm. How do you know that it's working? I mean, what are the, what are the indicators you look for? Yeah. So the mo probably the most easily visible yeah. is the marketing, you know, your brand, what's your brand awareness or what are, what yeah. are so you look at your marketing metrics. Yeah. Um, uh, that can get conflated, though, with what your marketing spend is, because you can you can generate brand awareness. You can say, "Oh, sure, I'm going to spend twice as much a lot money. Of money." Yeah, exactly. Right. right. And you that I mean, like think of like AT and T. They spend I think they spend seven hundred million dollars a year on TV media. Right. But what do do you know what they stand for? I don't yeah. know what AT and T stands for. No. So I don't know. that's high brand awareness without a strong brand. Um, um, but there's also a kind of compared to somebody like T-Mobile who is much smaller, much, much smaller, but spends a lot less. Right. But who, you know, they clearly have, you know, a strong brand. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, in some ways these metrics can over kind of overcomplicate it though. And you might just ask like, who are our customers right. and what do they think of right. when they, when they think of our business and you know, what's our NPS? Are they, um, do they love us? Do they recommend us to their peers who are probably also, you know, falling in that target 
customer bullseye. Um, So don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good in terms of measuring. Right. Um, I mean, it's expensive. Just getting a brand awareness number can be expensive. Right. So um, you can be scrappy and look to what do our tar- or are our target customers thinking of us in the way that we want them to think of us. Yeah. Or like, are we attracting the kind of prospects that yes. we expect to yes. with this kind of strategy? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. I, maybe, geez, I mean, this is just getting it. This is just a really interesting rabbit hole. Like, I mean, I could just keep going on this for days. So, um, so like at Avalara, okay. Mm-hmm. We had Avalara as a brand, Yep. but we owned several other, uh, products, right? Many, many, I ran yes. Cert capture, trust mm-hmm. file. You yep. know, we had, um, easy tax, uh, we had fuel quest, you know, which we, we would rename them or whatever, you know, call them Avalara blank. Yep. Um, So there's different approaches you could take here, right? As you said, yes. Um, w- what point does it make sense to you know lump things mm. together into a single brand? Yeah. At what point does it make sense to say I'm going to take a cleaver here and I'm going to say this is its own brand? I mean, we may still own this product, we may still have this. So like yep. at at Procter and Gamble's a great example, right? You have you have you know Clorox and you have Armorall and you have all these other things. They have their own brands, right? It doesn't say you know. Uh, Armorall by Clorox, right? Yeah. It doesn't have the Clorox label right there on the bottle, right? It, they may, may be owned by them, but mm-hmm. uh, it's but it's not them. Yeah. So the the continuum of so Procter and Gamble would be called a house of brands. Okay. Uh, automatic, which we talked about earlier, also it, that's a house a, of that's brands. a great B two B example. No yeah. brand awareness of the of or, automatic themselves. Of automatic. Very low. Low. Same thing with Procter and Gamble. You don't buy a product because it's Procter and Gamble. Right. So that's one end of the spectrum, the house of brands, and then the other end of the spectrum is a branded house. Right. So um, that would be um, BMW. So actually, right. since we're talking, so, since I brought up BMW, so the car equivalent of BMW that's a house of brands like Procter and Gamble would mm-hmm. be General Motors. Sure. Right. So they, well, have, they have Chevy, like Cadillac, Pontiac, or yeah. Who, I guess who they don't even, have that anymore? But yeah, well, lots and lots of brands. The fact that we can't even name them is the point. Tells us something. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, um, and then in the middle of that continuum, um, so you mentioned Avalara. Um, in the middle of that continuum would be sub brands. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be in the car world, Toyota. So there's the Toyota Camry, the Toyota right. Prius. Right. Um, and then the other thing that's in the middle is what's called an endorsed brand, hmm. um, uh, Courtyard by Marriott. Right. Mm, right. I can't think of a car example. Double tree by Hilton. Yes. Those are all endorsed brands. So they're almost to the brand, to the branded house, right. but not quite. So there's pros and cons of where you go on this continuum. Right. Um, the nice thing about being BMW is that you have one brand to promote. So if instead of spending a hundred million dollars across 30 brands, they're spending it on one brand. Right. They don't have to run ads for the Camry and yes. the you know, whatever, pick another. Right. Toyota, and therefore, Highlander. and the reason that matters Whereas Toyota is, does. Toyota runs ads for the Camry yes, and the Highlander do. and et cetera. And the reason I care about that, if I'm a business owner, is mm. ROI. Right. So the ROI on that $100 million on one brand is much better than one that's 
promoting 30 brands. Interesting. So, but the, but the disadvantage is if you have different customer segments, right? You can't serve them all as well. So, like, whereas the Highlander might be the explorer archetype, um, the Camry might be a totally different. Archetype. Right. They can double down on a specific target customer, even if it deviates from the Toyota target customer a little bit, whereas BMW right. can't really do that. Right. Um, so there's pros and cons. So it depends on what you're trying to do as a business. There's mm-hmm. no right answer. It does seem like to my my observation is that more and more brands are doing the branded house, the high ROI road. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just noticed... Um, so Crate and Barrel, you know, the furniture retailer, yeah, they also yeah. have CB2. They also used to have this store called A Land of Nod, which is a children's furniture store. Hmm. They just folded it into the Crate and Barrel. Now it's called Crate and Barrel Kids, right. I, think, I think, or Crate and Barrel oh, Children. Yeah, I think I've seen that. So they, they used to be treating it as a house of brands, and they're moving it into the Crate and Barrel brand equity. Yeah. So um, that's my non-scientific observation but there's 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 um pains with any of these brand architecture choices yeah and you just sort of have to pick the one that is best aligned with what you're trying to do as a business yeah really fascinating stuff um lindsay thank you so much for for doing this um please tell everybody listening how they can get in touch with you Thank you. It's been so much fun to talk to you about this. Um, so my website is ironcladbrandstrategy.com, and you can go there. You can I have an email newsletter you can subscribe to. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, so Lindsay Peterson. Peterson is spelled P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active, and I'd love to stay in touch. That's awesome. Thank you so much again for my doing pleasure. this. My pleasure. Thanks for having fun. me. Yeah. Hopefully you'll come back soon. I hope so too. <laughs>